So hello and welcome to Vista Talks, interesting discussions with interesting people from all around the world. I'm your host for today, Simon Hodgkins, and I'm delighted to be joined by Andrew McAdam. Uh, Andrew is the Global Field Director at Microsoft, and he's held also held the position of Managing Director for Microsoft startups in Western Europe, which covered, if I'm not wrong, 17 countries. Uh, prior to this career, I know Andrew was in Vodafone where he headed up online sales and marketing for Vodafone. I know he holds an international uh, MBA and a bachelor's degree in civil and structural engineering. So when it comes to international business, Andrew is doing it all. Andrew, you're very welcome to the show. Thank you very much indeed, Simon. It's great to be here. There was that intro okay? Did I, did I get oh, most of it in Look, there? I'm, I'm blushing. I'm blushing. Very good. I'm, very uh, good. Thank you. Well, look, let's move on. I've got a number of areas I really want to ask you about. And let's start, obviously, with what I just mentioned, which is your role at Microsoft today. Could you give us an overview into the role? Because I know you're talking to various teams across the Americas, EMEA, APAC. I'm sure, like everybody, you're in this virtual environment and we're all talking to people in different time zones. Could you yeah. explain your role just to our audience and our listeners, what you do at Microsoft, and maybe have a little little discussion around what it's like working internationally across all these time zones for you right now. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, so yeah, I'm the, as you say, Global Field Director for Microsoft for Startups. Very important to include that a little bit at the end there. Yeah. Uh, so specifically focused um, on really um, enabling startup success in all the different ecosystems around the world. Um, you might've seen it, you might not, but a few weeks ago, we did a, we did a public preview. I'm saying it very quietly because we're not going out too broadly just yet. But we did a new preview of, um, of what's called Founders Hub. Um, Founders Hub is, is a new mechanism by which any startup that, that identifies as a, as a startup, as a founder, can now apply to get support from the, uh, the Microsoft for Startups program. And this was a, this was a massive shift in, a, in our strategy, Simon, because um, historically, Microsoft for Startups was in place to help with uh, businesses that were less than seven years old, B2B, cloud backend, um, and seed series A. So a little bit later stage with a very specific focus in the B2B space. And, and that really all came about because good old Microsoft, lots of customers, we could give them access to those customers and really enable their scale and growth. Um, essentially, Founders Hub has, has now come along. Um, and, and what this enables us to do is really democratize access to the platform, which means we've gone early stage, which is great. Um, we've gone to the point now where MVP ideation, all good, come and apply to the program. And, and my role is really about um, helping all of the regional teams in Microsoft, the, the main entity, the sales and, and marketing behemoth that it is, um, really understand about the value that we're trying to create for these startups and how it's valuable to them in the sales and marketing teams as well. I, I, I sort of, in the past I've used, I love Venn diagrams. I think you and I both, I talk in, I think in threes so often. Um, and I sort of said, you know, we've got we've got Microsoft as a company, we've got these amazing partners, and we've got all these customers. And the idea is we want to put the startups right in the middle of that to enable them to get access to all of these ecosystems to enable them to scale and grow. And I'm I'm privileged to say that that really is um, the role of myself and my team. It's really about enabling that to happen. And so you you are really at the very start of business. A formation you're back you mentioned the mpv stage where you're mm. right there at the beginning of the idea mm. uh, and it's probably a bit of a bit of a change for microsoft to sort of moving that a little bit earlier in the process absolutely um, 
And tell me, just in terms of the international aspect of it, then, just what sort of what sort of regions and countries where are you finding you're spending most of your time? Yeah, it's fascinating. So uh, the interesting thing for me is obviously the the situation, as we now call it, that we found ourselves in for the last sort of eighteen months, almost two years. Um, and during that time, you you highlighted the point. I was I was managing director for um, for parts of Europe. It was France, UK, Germany. I can I can do the party piece. Austria, Belgium, Denmark, Finland, Ireland, Italy, Netherlands, Norway, Portugal, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, France, UK, Germany. And then I also picked up a lot of Central Eastern Europe as well. So it was it was actually in the end it was over twenty nine countries. Um, and it was interesting because culturally there are huge, as you well know, there are huge differences even within Europe. But during the last two years, I've also now been given the opportunity to head the global team. So I now have uh, teams that are based in South America and North America, um, obviously across the whole of Europe, um, India, um, China, and then the whole of APAC as well. So, so my remit now is very much, um, I still hold responsibility for elements around Europe at the moment. Um, you'll notice I didn't say Africa, you might have noticed. I didn't say Africa. It's one of the ones that I've spent the last three months working with uh, the African Transformation Office. It's a very specific team uh, within Microsoft that's really looking at how we activate and engage and catalyze um, the ecosystem, be they startups, students, um, entrepreneurs um, and developers in that ecosystem. So I'm really working with them at the moment over the last number of months around how we augment and catalyze what's going on there. Where I'm finding I'm spending a huge amount of time at the moment I guess is in it's this wonderful balance between where do we see real, I guess, inequity? Where do we see a real imbalance of opportunity that we believe we can have an impact in? And then it's balanced that with where are we also seeing great acceleration and therefore we should bring additional support to really help that evolve. And that's the, it's interesting, that's the tension, I guess, um, that I'm that I'm dealing with at the moment, which is prioritizing time against where needs that that imbalance being corrected versus where we're seeing huge growth and it's really exciting um being involved in this space because some of the areas that that you know when we when we look at this sort of um the last 18 24 months the opportunities that have been created one of the things i'm really finding is a lot of startups are now starting to get visibility in situations they would never have had the opportunity to do when we dealt in our face-to-face -face world. The, the fact that we're now moving into this and, and we're in this video, this video world, this Teams. I notice we're on Zoom, by the way, but we also have Teams. When we're in this Teams world, uh, we also, we're also finding it's really enabling these smaller, more agile companies to suddenly get access to these big companies who are now much more receptive to these conversations. So one of the things that we're trying to do and where I spend a huge amount of energy is, what can we do to enable these, to accelerate these connections and give visibility to these tiny companies that are having truly transformational changes to the organizations they engage with? Thank you, Andrew. It's, it's fascinating to hear your comments, particularly around uh, uh, Africa, uh, the continent, mm. because, uh, in the the localization space, uh, there's actually an event coming up uh, early in the new year, uh, localization um, world Africa, which is the first time they've actually hosted one of these sort of industry uh, events um, in that area. It's typically US and across Europe, 
Uh, and for the, the same sort of reasons that you're discussing, there's an awful lot of opportunity and an awful lot of learning to be done um, throughout Africa. Um, so I'm very interested to see how Microsoft develops there. And um, also, I wanted to ask you, um, in terms of that role then, mm. because you're interacting on a daily basis with a lot of startups globally, um, mm. and each, as you say, each culture in each country has its own sort of way of doing things, and there's different ways that you need to interface with. What are you finding some of the biggest challenges are in your role from, from dealing with, with that? You know, Because you're trying to sort of connect these startups with innovative companies all around the world yeah um like what are the what are the main challenges you're coming up with is it regional specific is it are there common themes running through when it when you look at the challenges yeah it's it, you know it's 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 a really interesting question simon because i, I as you can tell I, I i like to read a little bit and 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 these are the books that make it on the bookshelf as it were so i, I tend to read a lot on on an e-reader um rather than um physically because it's more convenient uh, but but one I just actually bought recently, which is really interesting, it's called The Culture Map, uh, which I don't know if you've seen it, but it, it's really interesting because a lot of it talks about, it's like this idea of what we communicate versus what's understood. It's this whole concept of, we believe that we're being very articulate and very clear. I believe that I'm a well-spoken man who is able to articulate very, uh, you know, challenging and complex things in a succinct way. But the reality is that it still comes down to how that person interprets it. Someone, I remember someone actually saying to me once, when you're presenting and when you've got your audience in front of you and every time you see someone nod, halve that as the number of people that are actually understanding what the hell you're talking about. So if you see half your audience is nodding, only half of them actually really understand what you're talking about. And I think that is really interesting. I think it's a great insight into no matter how good we think we are, at articulating things there's still uh, uh, it's subjective it's a translation that comes through so i think that's one of the the big challenges that we all face i think when it comes to making the connections one of the things obviously is we're microsoft so we work with some of the biggest companies on the planet and one of the things that we all know there's been that that globalization that scary word that that raises hackles for many people um but there's also that that localization of these global companies but a lot of them still like to try and um bring the values and the ethos of that that larger multinational into these local areas as well whilst balancing it but what's interesting about that is when it comes to engaging startups um because we we and you know I, I used to be an evangelist as well simon so i used to get people really excited about the opportunity of what technology could do. And when it comes to startups, they have this amazing ability to get people really, like even just the, the aura now, around startup, you work with startups, it's really interesting. And, and what happens is we get a lot of people, that are the, the tire kickers within these large organizations, they go, I've heard that we should be speaking to startups, show me some startups. And, the, and they're not really approaching it from the perspective of, these are clear problems that we've identified and that we need to solve which, and I know this, look, I, this is not prepared, by the way. I, I have three books on my desk at the moment, but, but this is the next book, Simon. The Mum Test, I don't know if you've seen this, it's by a guy called Rob Fitzpatrick. I joking, I've, I think I've actually emailed him now to say he should give me royalties, because I promote this book everywhere. But what The Mum Test talks about is removing compliments, fluff, and future thinking from the way that you solve um, for customers. 
you actually understand what problems they have and most importantly, how they're solving them at the moment. Because that then gives you the insight into this solution that you're developing. Is it actually something that they're going to pay for, that they're going to use, that, they, that the, the pain of implementing that is less than the pain of using what they have at the moment? And that is what I would say is when working with some of these incredible big companies that want to adopt these really exciting startups, challenging them around some of these areas, really helping them understand before we bring in, because one of the most valuable commodities for startups is their time. I, I really reinforce this. It's like they can't always control their revenue. They can't always control their funding, but they can always control their time. So spending time with customers has to be for a very clear purpose. So I challenge the customers before we make that engagement. Look, that's brilliant. Uh, the culture map book I'm familiar with, The Mom Test. Have I got the name right? The Mom yeah, Test. Rob Fitzpatrick, The Mom. He's, I think he's actually, he's Australian or English, but he spells right. it like an American. Just, I guess it's the audience he's going after. We went that's, on, that's, that's definitely made my holiday reading list then. It comes And the great news, just for you, Simon, it's only 120 pages as well. Brilliant. So I won't even... Even better. <laughs> um, listen, Andrew, that's that's fascinating. And it, it's, it's interesting because we've had a lot of discussions about startups and then you sort of end up at, you know, you start with a startup and people working in their garages yeah. uh, and their spare rooms. And before you know it, some of them actually become this, you know, in inverted commas, unicorns, decacorns, and that's where you end up with. So it's a long <laughs> conversation that runs through. But it's very interesting that a lot of the very large organizations that we work with and, you know, we tend to, to focus very much in the, the very, you know, fast moving, high growth, big global mm. companies and brands. But a lot of them had very humble beginnings and very simple starting positions. So yeah. it's really, a, it, does it, you can plot a line through it. Um, the, the question I've got for you, because uh, you mentioned your, your, I know you spent a while, actually, I know you mentioned there about a, the technology evangelism, uh, and you were a technology evangelist, I know that. Um, <laughs> and I, I wanted to ask you, though, hmm. you've got this approach now where you're sort of scaling through, you know, from VC GSI, yep. accelerators, incubators, mm. um, and these are these are all sort of augmenting this this wider Microsoft program. So maybe could you just unpack for me a little bit this how you sort of scale through that because each one of those are quite different in their own sort of sense and terms. And you've got people who are doing a bit of you know self funding. You've got the VC. You mentioned the the MVP stage of things and. That, that that's kind of changed a little bit you know people maybe not coming to it with a fully formed concept as they had to do years ago to get some funding and then in each country whether it's africa or europe or here in ireland the the levels of funding are very different and some have funding gaps and you know it, it's not e it's not an equal playing field you look at the valley of course and it's there's one there's been one or two particular ways of doing things you see this huge growth in angel funding and investment you see people who've made some money and decide they want to get in into sort of private investments. And you've got early investors, right, who get in right at the start before the company sort of really has any tangible revenues. So, yeah, it would be really interesting to understand how you sort of approach that landscape because it's it's a roller coaster of a landscape for the startup world. Right. Absolutely. And it's and do you know what, Simon, what's really interesting as well is is even then when you add the, the risk profile into that as well, as in 
when I look at Ireland and I've, I've lived in Ireland, I love this country. I've been here 20 years now. Um, what's really fascinating is in, in so many ways, it's one of the most innovative cultures I've ever been in. As in, I always jokingly say, it's like, give, give us an inch and we'll, we'll, we'll find the opportunity. We'll make something out of it. And yet, bizarrely, there's a real paradox there because when it comes to investment, unless you're achieving seven, 10, 15 X over a, a three, five, seven year time period, whew, good luck getting anything over a couple of million investment. Whereas other, other environments, ecosystems, where to your point, the different stages, you know, you can, you can have seed investment that's one, two million, as much as we might be looking at a series A round. It's, it's, it's crazy. And I think sometimes it's this disparity that is definitely one of the most, it's one of the reasons, obviously, why I have different teams based in different countries all around the world, because having that, that local knowledge is critical to really enabling the success of them. But jumping back, and, and sorry, I had, I had to type a couple of notes because there, there were quite a few things to go over there. Um, but one of the key things I would say, it's, it's like one of Microsoft's best and worst kept secrets. Um, Microsoft as an organization, one of the things I didn't realize, I, I kind of realized as I joined, and it was a great motivator for me, was the size of the partner ecosystem. A lot of people, unlike many, much of our competition, Microsoft is not, a, it's not about us. It's actually about the way that the partners deliver everything that, that maybe we've created, but they're the ones really that bring to life. And you mentioned the GSIs, the global system integrators, are a great example of they're the ones that ultimately take it and they, they architect and they integrate into all of those disparate systems. They're the ones that bring Microsoft solutions to life for customers. So when it comes to, um, so as I say, the big secret is so much of our success is predicated on this incredible partner ecosystem. The other big difference in Microsoft since Satya Nadella uh, really took, took the reins and moved us from those dark Bulma days. I should be careful, I know, but such a different cultural time. And what's really interesting, and, and the book is up there, Hit Refresh, is his approach to all of this. And there's another one up there as well called Growth Mindset by Carol Dweck. And he really brought this growth mindset. He didn't just talk about it, but he initiated it. And the biggest thing about it is Microsoft, I think, historically would have been that know-it-all. We had all the answers. And, and Satya and the intent that we've shifted to is about learn it all. It's curiosity. It's about recognizing. I, I refer to myself as consciously incompetent. I am aware of so much that I do not know. And that's why I turn to partners to be able to enable that. And that's really what I'm looking at in the startup ecosystem. I look at them and I always say, you're developing these concepts, these ideas, these solutions that Microsoft will never develop. It is never in in competition with what we're doing even when they develop i met i met um a company at web summit a couple of weeks ago and they were called i think they were called rose r-o-w-s and he was like oh yes we've developed the uh, the uh the uh competitor to excel and i was like we well, haven't but i love the fact that 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 is how you're because that's a, a value proposition that people can relate to and and he hasn't because it's a totally different solution that they've developed and I want him to come onto the program because their solution is going to be perfect for a bunch of customers. And ultimately, what we're trying to do is we're trying to, we've created this amazing platform 
to enable their success built on there's there's got to be a win-win we're a commercial organization i'm i'm not saying anything that people aren't aware of so there has to be a win and if we can if we can enable these incredible companies to build on the best cloud infrastructure on the planet to provide secure trusted solutions to our customers everyone wins and that's why i know just yeah. how lucky i am and privileged i am to be in the role that i am no I, I, thank you andrew um yeah i mean the the work that Microsoft has done, particularly in the in the last number of years, uh, under the, the 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 stewardship and the guidance of Satya Nadella, as you mentioned, uh, the move to cloud, the move to subscription, that it's mm. been a huge change in the way Microsoft uh, operates. The operating system itself has come on in leaps and bounds, and uh, it's it's interesting how. Uh, if you look back, you, you mentioned the Barmer days and even, even prior to that, um, the, the the sort of ebbs and flows of Microsoft, it, it's very much seen as the cool kid on the block again, in, in my you know humble perception. Um, it's doing an awful lot right. Um, and it's very, it's very tricky for a large global giant that Microsoft is to get that right, you know, and sometimes it, it does work out and sometimes it, it doesn't work out. I'm not going to bring up the ins and outs of say uh windows mobile or something like that you know but uh you know right now the strategy not being afraid to cut it though i think that was one of the yeah maybe maybe it could decide to exit exactly exactly yeah uh and i i love the fact that you have this large ecosystem around the world that you can pull on this partner sort of global approach to things Mm. but i wanted to ask an important point just leading on from that because we've talked a lot of now about startups in each country, cultures, people understanding how they take their message into various countries. Yeah. But there's another, there's another sort of um, segment of startups which are sort of the underrepresented founders. Yeah. And I do know from doing a little bit of research and looking into what Microsoft's doing here that there is a, there is a plan for this. Uh, but I'd be interested to see how what your view is as sort of the person overseeing a lot of this. Yeah. In how you ensure that inclusion. And what are you doing to sort of help that underrepresented founder? Could you maybe just talk yeah, about that for me for a moment? Because I think it's absolutely. a really important element. It's it's um, honestly, Simon. It's it's what's been really interesting, as I said, with the changeover to Founders Hub in the last three years. And, and before we were focused as a as a field team, we were out there developing um, the sort of the viability of engaging with startups. With Founders Hub coming on board, what it's actually now enabling me and my team to do is change our focus. And what we're saying is Founders Hub is all about equality, okay? What that means is anyone, it's democratized access to the platform, which is great. Our team now though, is actually really starting to focus on equity. And what that means is, and I can give you a couple of, just a couple of numbers that that I'm I'm working with the Black Innovation Alliance in, in the US at the moment. They're based out of Atlanta, Georgia. I'm uh, Dr. Dr. Kelly, um, who I met a while ago, is incredible. In the space of 15 months, she set up the Black Innovation Alliance, where through, uh, I think it's around 50 partners, she has now got 300,000 Black entrepreneurs in her community in 15 months. And her background is actually all around social engineering. Her doctorate is in um, social engineering, really understanding the the social implications of the inequity that we're seeing in various ecosystems. 
And when I first met her, she was saying, Andrew, do you realize that the, the, the delta between white privilege and black privilege in the US at the moment is 200, I think it was 270 years before there is parity. She then said, last week when we caught up again, Andrew, that number is now over 285 years. It's going the wrong way. And what's been really interesting with Founders Hub coming on board, it's enabled our team to start to go, okay, we've, we've helped Microsoft now understand the opportunity of startups. What else do we need to help Microsoft? What else do we need to validate? What thesis do we need to prove? And what, we, what we're now focusing on is how can we enable underrepresented communities to get access to enable their success that without us would not be possible. And it's a, it's a huge, it's such a lofty goal. I'm, uh, it, it's a huge ambition. And to be honest, Simon, I don't have all the answers at the moment at all, but, but what, what we are doing is we're starting out with, with some pilots. We're starting out with, with an opportunity of number one, actually just engaging with the communities, really understanding why and where the, the challenges have come from. Um, I met uh, Silicon Valley Bank this week, actually. Um, and we had a great discussion um, around, there's a, there's a team that's specifically, again, focused on underrepresented communities. And, and again, I know I'm quoting a lot of US, it's, it's relevant though, I think, across the world. But, but they quoted um, a 25-year-old white male in the US has average savings of $25,000. The 25-year-old female, $1,500. The black male, 25 years old, $500. The black female, $100. Think about that when it comes to how a black female in America can set a company up. They need 250 of their friends to invest all of their savings. I'm exaggerating for effect, but you get it. $100 versus $25,000, the, the opportunity, the network they're connected to. And I also, and it then brings on the next challenge, which is the difference between um, access to intelligence, to data, and, and how it's unused, like intelligence and wisdom idea. It's, it's like, we can inform everyone around how it might be possible to get access to better funding. But then you've still got the next thing, which is helping them understand how they then leverage that, how they develop their business. And this is really what we're going through at the moment. We're looking for partnerships. We're looking for people that are engaged in these communities to build up our own knowledge, to help us understand how we can provide. And, and we're sort of, we're talking about manufacturing privilege. We're talking about what can we do to accelerate against the, the beyond inequality, the inequity that we're seeing at the moment for these underrepresented communities to enable a, a fundamental shift so that we get the startup ecosystem to reflect, become more reflective of the diversity in the world in which we live. Yeah, uh, manufactured privilege, that's an interesting term. And mm. um, it, it is interesting because one of the things that's also, also sort of leveled at the um, you know high growth tech startup community is there's not much diversity, yeah. which in effect means you're developing products and services for one type uh, of, well, maybe a few types of people. Yeah. Uh, but you, it's not a broad approach. It's not, it's not looking at other cultures. 
And I, I mean, it's so interesting to see what you're doing with underrepresented founders. Some of the stats that you mentioned there are just phenomenal growth. Was it 15 months? That uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's incredible. Um, and, and Microsoft actively looking for groups and associations like this right now. Yeah. Uh, that's exactly it. And um, yeah. and as I said already, partnership is like fundamental to everything that we're doing. So if yeah. if people are, are listening to this, if there's an opportunity, then then please, I would very good. We're really actively working. And it's interesting as well, what you just said a second ago, because um, there's a lot of research and a lot that we've done internally, but a lot available generally at the moment around unconscious bias and yeah. how that comes into the way. And uh, literally every talk I, I go to, I talk about how to build an inclusive team. Um, there's, there's behaviors of inclusion, um, but there's also intentional approaches with regards to how people construct and create teams and and it's the last book i've got on my desk but it's by this amazing lady called perrine fark um perrine is uh, it's called inclusion the ultimate secret secret for an organization's success and and literally you'll see all i've done throughout this whole book there's like there's just so much in here that she's highlighted but one of the key things she talks about is it's proven factually proven that that female founders they accelerate the, the the actual growth potential tends to be higher the innovation tends to be greater all of these elements that we think about when it comes to successful business is exemplified by being more inclusive in the way that we build teams and i think it's it, it's the more awareness that we create around this the better it's going to be yeah i find i find this area particularly uh, relevant i was talking to a, a lady recently who looks after marketing the country of sweden um okay Ruth Dollar visits Sweden. Um, we did an episode with Ruth, and it, it was just interesting. She she was talking about unconscious bias, even in the school educational system, um, where they've you know they've got sort of teams of people at a governmental level that are trying to remove um, this sort of bias that that is that is there today. Even today, uh, it's still there. And the reason why it's 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 of really, uh, I think, fundamental importance that we do have underrepresented founders and that we do have diversity and inclusion and we have multiple cultural aspects is because as the AI and the machines take over, if you're feeding this stuff in, the bias is built in from day one. Absolutely. And the data sets for, for um, non-biased information, I think, leave a lot to be desired. Uh, I don't want to get on a soapbox about it, but it, it's really encouraging to see the work that you do in here, Andrew. Thank you. No, and as I'm not even going to take credit for it, it's there is there is so much intentionality in Microsoft across so many teams at the moment around how uh, Brad Smith has actually spoken about this a lot. He's now moving into his uh, sustainable world and social impact, but but fundamentally he was so focused on uh, ensuring and and we talk about augmenting rather than replacing uh, how AI because it's augmenting so much of what we do if it's if we don't ensure that's engineered out from the start, if we don't ensure there is inclusion, we are literally, as you said, Simon, setting ourselves up for We're just reinforcing the bias. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. hundred percent. Okay. So thank you, Andrew. A fascinating, uh, fascinating, important points there. And of course, anybody who is um, looking at those sort of 
underrepresented founder type situations should certainly get in touch with Microsoft from the sound of it. There's, there's an awful lot of work we can do there. I wanted to ask you though, just, we can't sort of not talk about the pandemic. Mm. And I, I wanted to mention it because I know you've done an awful lot of traveling throughout your career. <laughs> yes. Um, probably a little bit less in, in recent times, <laughs> but um, have you seen the, have there been any sort of standout moments because, um, because of the pandemic what impact have you seen on the, the ecosystem that you're focused on? Mm. Because, and the reason I'm asking, Andrew, just to give you the context to it, is a lot of the businesses that we deal with have been very fortunate. It's actually been an accelerant. I mean, take, take aside the, you know, the, the, the sort of horrific stats and the fact that you know, people are dying. You know, let's, yeah. let's cut to the chase. It's, it's a horrific situation and nobody wants to be in a lockdown situation and etc yeah. etc et but we're still we're still challenged with it across europe and across the world um but i really i'm really interested in your view on it because some companies that we deal with their business has actually benefited from the pandemic it's yeah. been an, a huge accelerant a lot of startups and medium-sized organizations have benefited from it whereas other sectors particularly if you think about international travel for example or hospitality or even retail a lot of that's been shuttered or significantly slowed down. So different sectors have experienced different um, impacts and some are still really challenging today. What's your viewpoint on this eco um, sort of network, this system that you have, this global partnership program? Mm. Anything that stands out? Yeah, it's so funny because I've, I've, even in your question, you 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 hit across so many of the salient points with regards to growth and some um, obviously challenges and other um it's funny because i'm asked so often it's like what are your favorite stuff you know what are the most and i always i refuse to answer because if i pick one it's like what am i what am i saying about the other six thousand that are in program at the moment so but what i will I, let me let me sort of talk about maybe some of the, the the overarching things very briefly um number one what i would say i think i mentioned it earlier but it's access it's increased the opportunity of access because there's no longer this need to be face to face so that in and of itself has been an amazing opportunity. The other thing that I found is now that we're, I won't even say coming out because we know we're not, as you just said, there, there are still challenges that everyone's facing. But what's been really interesting is um, the amount of investment that is being made available now, the amount of capital that is liquid at the moment. I, I was uh, for the first, I traveled for the first time in 20 months. And this is a, as you said, Simon, I traveled uh, my worst, my worst week was uh, four countries in four days. Um, and I would do that often enough that it was it was pretty painful. So I went to Web Summit a couple of weeks ago um, in Lisbon. First time in 20 months I've traveled. It was exhausting. I have to say that that all of that physical interaction and emotional engagement was, was a little bit different from this. Um, but one of the things that, that became really, really clear as well was just the sheer amount of investment that's available now. And I don't know whether I'm still I'm literally still working through whether this is good or whether it's actually going to create more problems, because I also saw that the metrics that sometimes we'd we'd become a lot more stringent on were loosening again. Are we overheating? It's a question that I'm 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 asking at the moment and I'm starting to build up more knowledge on. So it's pro and con on that one. The one thing, though, that really does stand out to me, someone, I was on a panel um, and we were talking about, you know, what's the, give us, give us some shining light was, was essentially the question. And someone said, and I thought this was such a, a great insight. 
this is the first time since pretty much the Second World War where there has been a period of pure innovation, pure focus on research and solving problems that affect the entire world. And, and what came back, what they said was that the, the only other time that we've seen that was the likes of the Manhattan Project. And what they said was, and it wasn't the work that was done just in that period of time. It was the following 10 years that what came out of it that was so important. And I thought, do you know what? That's, a, that's such an interesting point because Simon, I honestly believe we've fundamentally shifted the way that we now work. Will that maintain? Elements of, I'm sure will. We've fundamentally shifted in the expectation of the way that we engage and the way that we uncover and the way that we make decisions. Will that change? Will that continue to change? Probably will. The impact of all of these, just, just maybe it's tiny things. Maybe I don't drive up the road. Maybe I cycle. Maybe I don't, you know, all of these things. And I don't, I don't think we've really truly seen the impact yet of, because we're not through it as well, but I don't think we've truly seen the final impact of everything we're talking about at the moment. I don't believe we will for years to come from from a I'm and I'm an I'm I'm a I'm an optimist from a positive perspective because I think there's still so much more to actually run through and and for us to see the benefit of what's been going on over the last 18 months. I really like that Andrew. I I love the 10-year timeline horizon actually when you think about it in that context. It's not just what have been the benefits in the last year, two years. It's actually well what happens after this in a 10-year time frame. I think that's a really, that really makes you think about what's to come, doesn't it? We, there's, uh, there's, a, there's one expression I, I love as well, Simon. It's, we, we, um, we overestimate what we can achieve in a year and we underestimate what we can achieve in a decade. And, yeah. and I think as soon as you say, as soon as you have that realization, it's like, oh my, yes, that's so true. Because yeah. sometimes we just think on such tiny time horizons. And I think particularly in your world, like I, I can remember a time in, in uh, say California where you know the VC wouldn't invest in the startup if they couldn't drive to their office like that was that was actually said it was uh, no I'm not I'm not investing because it's too far away and now you know that sort of time travel boundary has been removed for a lot of startups you know they can take the the more cost effective part of the world to work out of and it's it's really helped uh, from that perspective you know absolutely um, and you know we've everything from you know <laughs> Uh, bull and bear cycles and rising inflation and crypto assets and blockchain and you know we've got all the uh we've got all NFTs, that stuff going they're always on. they're always fun as well aren't they <laughs> exactly so there's a, there's an awful lot going on um but listen I, there's a couple of things i wanted to ask i know we've talked an all we've covered an awful lot of ground andrew but the, before before we sort of start to head to wind up our discussion here today there's a couple of important things i want to ask you hmm. And I want to go back, if I can, we mentioned at the top of the discussion about your prior role to the role mm. you're in now, because mm. I know you were the Western Europe Managing Director for Startups. But as part of that, if I'm not mistaken, you had to basically build and execute the startup engagement strategy, correct, yeah. uh, for the region. And you obviously were working with lots of Microsoft subsidiaries in that area. Mm. I'm just interested, could you maybe... For somebody that's had to build and execute from that 
starting point could you maybe sure. talk a little bit about how you how you went about that because that that's a huge undertaking it, and 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 it was and it was and i think i i again i recognize one of my challenges which is i i want to solve for everything and and i realized exactly to your point that was not an option when i came into that role i did not have um i didn't have a team it was never about building a team it was about activating catalyzing the resources that were already available i mean microsoft 360,000 i think we are employees worldwide now like it's an insane number we've got two and a half thousand in ireland alone and and then when you look around europe there are all these pockets of amazing people and the what i what i realized fairly quickly was number one there was a huge appetite so that always helps when there's energy for it you're like yay that's great but then what I realized was, and, and that was through lived experience as well, it's great to have energy, but if you're not aligned, then it's very difficult for that energy to maintain, to be maintained. So really what I took was the approach of top down, bottom up. I, I ensured that the first people I spoke, because I or I'd already made sure in the background that there was there was a, a cohort, there were groups of people that recognized and were, were energized by the opportunity of engaging with startups internally within each of the, the countries. But the first thing I really did was then went in at the GM CEO level of each of the subsidiaries. And I actually did, first of all, I did a broad call. I did, a, I got all of the, the CEOs on a call and said, this is who we are, this is what we do. The old Venn diagram, this is how we're doing it. Da, 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 da. You know, it's the, the, um, uh, Seth Godin, uh, convince, uh, persuade versus convince. A lovely little anecdote from about seven years ago on his blog. Um, gave them the facts, figures, and numbers. Helped them understand why the, the logic of doing it. But then also connected with a, a number of them on the call based on the, on the questions they asked. So made that emotional connection. Logic is great, but without the emotion, no action is actually implemented. So then what I did was went to the countries where there had been that energy, sat down with them, got their leadership team, and really challenged all of them around why. I love Simon Sinek. Start with why. Why was it important? I then essentially, not real, unintentionally, un unaware, unconsciously used the mum test, hadn't read it at the time, but tried to understand what problems we were solving for them. Why was that important? How had they gone about that before? What had worked? What had failed? Really built up that understanding. Then it was about understanding the energy that was going to come and enable the execution. So it was me enabling a pincer movement within the country itself. And as soon, and literally it was also then about not trying to boil the ocean, not trying to go to all 27 countries and try and do them simultaneously. But actually, and, and France, for example, had already got a great initiative underway. What could I do to bolster that and then amplify? And one of the things I've talked a lot about recently is replicate and scale. Replication is all about doing similar things in different locations. And then the scale comes from making them bigger. But coming up with a playbook approach that had enough flexibility that against those cultural differences that we talked about, there was flex enough in there against that but enough of a framework against it that it was tangible and executable for, for teams across different regions. And, and ultimately, as Drucker says, 85% of decisions are made on risk. Scaring them a little bit helped as well. Helping them understand the growth in this space that they were missing out on 
by not engaging this audience. That was definitely one of the uh, the the seal of the deals, as it were, when it came to certain countries helping them understand about the opportunity. You've done a great job summarising that, but it sounds extremely complicated and time-consuming. <laughs> if I'm honest, uh, oh, honestly, Simon, there, there is, there is, you know this. Yeah, you've worked, you've worked in different countries. You understand the challenges. Yeah. The, I did a stakeholder map at one point, um, and I realised that I had somewhere in the region of 26 stakeholders in each country that I was actually working, and that's not even with the regional overlay and then the corporate overlay that comes with that as well. Um, and and you know how Microsoft loves their acronyms. It was scary, yeah. to say the least. <laughs> well, look, it, it's great. And uh, before we wrap up, I wanted to just squeeze in one more question, if I can, Andrew, <laughs> sure. uh, if you don't mind, because of course. it's really my question is this, and it's it's a bit about the future, of course. Um, but for many startups and businesses, um, whether they're they're small, medium, or large entities you know businesses don't you know for for many years they don't just think about the local markets anymore they have this growing ability to to almost think globally from day one right Mm. Uh, for lots of reasons technology being one of them Um, you can do business now in many different countries around the world Uh, you can start off in maybe one country expand to another and the internet, to some degree, doesn't really see boundaries. It's it's a it's a global platform in 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 the main. Um, and I'm interested to know. You mentioned uh, Microsoft Teams and Zoom earlier, and like Teams, it, it sort of reminded me to ask you about the metaverse because we all know Facebook and Meta, and you know the little demos that are going on in the worlds of avatars. And then I saw mm. an interesting article from Microsoft that came out saying, well, actually we, we do this on Teams guys. And Teams mm. is sort of the de facto platform internally within our mm. organization. Mm. And we have used it for some events as well. Um, but I'm just interested in your view about these, this changing landscape as we sort of, you know, you mentioned NFTs and the world of blockchain and the metaverse. And as all these things are developing and how they impact your your world right now in Microsoft, how do you see the role developing from a technology communication um, landscape? My role specifically or just the role generally? Well, I think from, a, from your perspective, you've got a particular vantage point, haven't you? Because you've mm. seen across all these different um, <clears throat> countries. Yes. And I, I'd be very, I'd be very interested to see, you know, your general view, of course, yeah. but also your own personal view of personal. how this, how this impacts the sector that you're, that you're working in right now, because there's an awful lot of technology changes. Apple are coming out with these very fast chips, for example, Microsoft Teams is developing. We've got Meta coming down the road. We've got this whole other way of communicating for startups. The landscape continues to it used to be Moore's law. We used to talk about a lot, right? And the the, yeah. the, t- the chip technology advancements, but now the the amount of technology we had social audio in the last twelve months, driven on by the pandemic, with mm. you know now you've got Twitter Spaces and Clubhouse and Green Room and all all that sort of stuff going on. Mm. I'm just wondering about your view when mm. companies no longer have to just think about the local market; they can go global from day one. How you see the technology? And this ability to be a startup sort of coming together and what it looks like when you look at it through the Microsoft lens for the next five, 10 years. That's really what I'm what I'm looking for there, Andrew. 
one of the things that that's already starting to come through technology as we as we know is merely an enabler Mm. it's you know it's 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 not the end in and of itself meta suggests that maybe actually that's changing a little bit um interesting enough from a from a, a digital interaction point of view we've had hololens for years like the whole idea of augmented you know how do you get a digital overlay in the physical world so so my, without a doubt we've been thinking about looking at this and you mentioned teams and the capability in there and the avatars and all that fun stuff What's interesting, though, is there's a couple of we talked earlier on about culture. And culture is, is going to be one of the things like there's a there's a there's a fear at the moment of losing cultures because of the spread of technology and the and the uh, how available certain things are and how influenced people are. So what's going to be really interesting is culture from from the perspective of how it's going to be adopted, how it's going to be used. There's still so much none of us really can even start to understand around what what could actually happen but i guess what i am excited about is the ability now for one of the smallest for the smallest companies in the world to access similar size audiences similar size tech or the similar functionality of technology the similar um, amount maybe even of resourcing and funding of some of the biggest companies on the planet is what we're 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 almost we're practically there right now and that means that it's no longer about where we came from this fast following or, or the ability to replicate of what someone else has already done it's going to come down to the ability to innovate to really think about um the the opportunity so no what i see is this amazing opportunity not to be limited by the uh shackles of the environment that you find yourself in but the opportunity of being able to leverage everything that's available in the world however all that said and done the only way that that's going to happen is again what we talked about earlier which is how we start to focus on equity, how we actually focus on starting to enable the visibility, the awareness and the opportunity to everyone to access this, not passively, but actively. So when we think about this amazing potential, I think what we also need to do is is reflect and recognize our opportunity, but also our responsibility to make more people in these underrepresented communities aware of how they can also access this incredible space and opportunity that we see in front of us moving forward. Yeah, I think it, it, in that context, when you think about the, um, the ability for startups and you're almost leveling the playing field a little bit uh, by having this ecosystem. And it just reminded me of, like, if you think about, say, the S&P 500, for example, the big, you know, some of the largest companies in the world, and how that's changed over time. And, you know, some, com- you know, the, com- the companies that are going to be the big players in 10, 15, 20 years time, the people that are going to be on those FTSE 100, S&P 500 type lists mm. are, the, are the very companies that you're talking to today. Some of them are going to break through and become those very large global entities. Yeah. And for, it seems to be happening faster and faster. 
but again it, it will only happen for um as we were talking about earlier you know if you you think about those underrepresented founders it's not a level playing field to start with so it, it's going to be very very important um that we bring through the startup community in all all aspects um, absolutely it's no no easy task i'm sure and there's a lot of work to be done and I'm sure there's, uh, <laughs> there's many conversations and many years effort to go, but uh, it's really encouraging to to hear that and to see and to to hear your viewpoint, Andrew. Thanks um, Sam. on on the landscape. So before I do wrap up, because uh, we we've talked about an awful lot there, we have. We is, have. There, is there anything that I haven't mentioned, or is there anything else you'd like to add before we do wrap up? Is there anything that that you you'd just like to maybe bring our attention to? Look, I think I, I hope that there's been interest in this conversation to, to your audience with regards to um, the opportunity that I guess we all have when it comes to both enabling startups, um, enabling innovation, feeling as though we all have an opportunity to actually genuinely move the conversation forward when it comes to acknowledging underrepresented communities and, and, and enabling their opportunity as well. Um, I think... The, 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 the point really that, that I always, always come back to, especially when it comes to these kind of conversations is partnership. Really think about like, this is where that learn it all culture that I'm, I'm so energized by within Microsoft really comes to play. If you, if you see a problem that you're trying to solve within the business, if you see an opportunity that you're unsure around how to, to actually move forward on, Think about partners. Think about who you can speak to that can actually help you solve that. And I think the more, the less afraid we are to acknowledge where we're consciously incompetent, I think the more opportunity we will all have to innovate and genuinely make a difference. And that is a great place to leave this conversation. Thank you so much, Andrew. Um, Thanks, Sam. It's been an absolute pleasure to hear your viewpoints and continued success with everything that you're doing, of course. Thank you very much indeed. Well, look, that, that's the end of today's show here with Andrew McAdam. Um, please make sure to tune in again to see and or listen uh, to the next Vista Talk show. Uh, once again, we'll be discussing more interesting topics with interesting people from all around the world. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks, Sam.